Ad Speaks Houston, the Addy Award-winning podcast, giving you the inside scoop on Houston advertising and marketing, is created and produced by Radio Lounge for the American Advertising Federation Houston chapter at aaf-houston.net. It is so great that you're here with us. As far as I can tell on all the research that I've done on uh, Margot Aaron, uh, she's a confused person. She has done this and that and a little bit more of that and then goes over here and does this and that. Uh, but, uh, but what she has done uh, correctly is a lot of great things for uh, our advertising uh, community. On October 21st, we had a, a webinar, a free webinar, boys and girls, called uh, Why It's Easy to Market to Your Clients But Not to Yourself. And I guarantee you that everybody, every agency out there, anybody, you cannot say that you know how to market to your clients because you don't admit it now. Okay, thank you. By the way, uh, today's podcast is underwritten by Bud Light Crisp, extra tasty, surprisingly light. So hope you had a chance to catch the webinar at aaf-houston.net. But uh, in the meantime, we've got more uh, with Margot. And uh, how do I start with Margot? Margot is a proud graduate. That's good to be proud of graduating. Of Emory University, uh, Columbia University, and Alt-MBA, where she earned the prestigious Walker Award, Today, she is co-host of the internet talk show, Hillary and Margot Yell at Websites. <laughs> That's great. She's a regular contributor to Inc., founder of the most popular internet newsletter you've ever heard of. And her bio says, well, she accidentally ended up in marketing. I love the fact that anybody can accidentally end up someplace and be incredibly good at it. Turns out marketing is a convenient tool, she says, for getting people to care it helps you uh, translate uh, boring information into something people are dying to know more about. Love that, too, because researchers don't talk to marketers. She had no idea those tools existed. So Margot snagged herself a fancy corporate job in marketing, bada-bing, and a corner office, where she did strategic planning for brands like Starbucks, Evolution Fresh, and Seattle's Best. And if I don't let you talk soon, you're either going to fall asleep or go away. So Margot... Thanks for being here on the podcast today. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. You know, we had a lot of fun with you on the on the 21st at the event, and so many people came back with uh, oh, nice things to say. And, and what we've tried to do, Margot, with these podcast with the with the the programs, the webinars, is to engage people more in the things that are relevant, they care about, and they need to know about. And that's exactly uh, what you did. But I, I have one question. You're originally from Houston. Um, yes. Uh, uh, did you run away from Houston or talk about your journey uh, from Houston to 2020? And why the <laughs> heck did you end up in Jersey City, New Jersey? All places oh in the whole goodness. world. Jersey City, New Jersey. How's Chris Christie doing this morning? You know, I lied to my family for a little bit when we moved here. So I was like, I cannot tell them I live in New Jersey. I will be disowned. <laughs> <laughs> but New Jersey's oh, yeah, a great yeah. place. I mean, come on. It's a great state. I'm, I've actually been really happy here, but do not tell my husband. Okay, you good. can't win. Um, no, it's a great question. You know, it's a subtle. You you never really leave Texas, and I found that that my Texas heritage actually got stronger when I left mm. because I. So I, it's like I doubled down on things. Like I was invited to a barbecue for the first time oh. in the in the north, and I remember I went. I was so excited, and I showed up, and it was just grilling. Do you know that that's what they call? grilling here they call it barbecue yeah. so they made hot dogs and hamburgers and i was like this is not a barbecue i couldn't get over it 
I, for two hours, I lectured every single person that was there yeah. to make sure they understood that this was not barbecue. There was no smoked meat. No one had marinated anything for more than 10 minutes. Like, it was just an abomination. And so... Uh, yeah, I think you, you, you double down on your identity when you leave. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Speaking of food and such, I've been to Detroit, Miami, and around the country, upstate New York as well. But you, you, leaving Houston, you leave, you leave um, a culinary experience that is not replicated anywhere in the world, except in Cleveland, Ohio. I found what? an incredible Mexican restaurant that actually did it right. Oh. Uh, but th- th- it turns out the guy's from Houston, so that's why they do it right. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they got lucky and it's Nuevo Acapulco if you're listening in the Cleveland area this is not a plug this is a passionate uh, endorsement for this wonderful restaurant so that's good so you, you ended up in New Jersey but along the way I love the fact I love your story because I feel as if you you're still discovering you still have a desire to see what can I do that really really matters in my life would you say that's a good statement Yes. I would say I've been chasing that question uh, probably my entire life. And I'll, I'll tell viewers or listeners who, who weren't able to attend the webinar, um, I mean, my, my path was very windy. Um, I actually began as a psychological researcher. And I didn't know it at the time. I was called a research assistant, but I was actually in marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in charge of getting... Um, client, uh, they call it patients, into our psychological studies. That was a big part of my job in addition to doing research. And when you made the comment from my bio that researchers don't talk to marketers, all I can tell you guys is, had I known then what I know now, we would have saved a lot more lives. I knew nothing about copywriting. I knew nothing about how to reach out to people. It was, sales was considered below me. It never occurred to me that it might have been relevant to my job. Um, It was always sold to me as something slimy, something business people care about. And um, when I was in graduate school, which is how I ended up in the Northeast, um, I was at Columbia and I was like, there is such good information in these textbooks. And we have so many answers to things people think we don't know. We know them. It's just that you've branded them as super boring and extremely pretentious. And that's sort of how I accidentally ended up in marketing because I stopped being able to focus on the content of psychology and got more interested um, in the application of it. And, okay, so we know this about human behavior. What are we doing about it? We know that people um, are bored easily. We know that we need to do certain things to keep their attention. We know we need to meet people where they are, and yet we refuse to do that. And so what I found so compelling about marketing was that it felt ironically, more honest. It was a way to go and test things in the field um, and go, okay, well, if I use this language, what does someone do? Mm-hmm. If I use this language, what does someone do? If I use this branding, if I use this framing, if I use um, these specific you know, persuasion influencers, what does a person do? And so I became really fascinated by how you turn someone who's apathetic into someone who cares. Um, and there are a lot of nefarious ways to do this. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, <laughs> not going to condone those. Sure. And I think there's pretty clear lines, and we can talk about that later. But, but as far as, as how it, it um, influenced my journey, I mean, I think I've always been really curious about how we can help the most people. And I see marketing as an incredibly powerful tool for connection yeah. and, uh, and for getting people to care. And when you think about your products or services, influencing people on the other end of the exchange instead of being simply transactional becomes a lot easier and more powerful to do 
good marketing and advertising. You know, you've hit the epicenter, and, and I'll, let's go back to the Mad Men era uh, when it was selly, selly, selly stuff, smoke and mirrors, and you're going to do this, and it's going to make you a whole bunch of money. There was no way to track that, of course. Uh, very poor ways to track it. And you did stuff like that. Although I have to say, George Lois, uh, who is a, an iconic uh, advertising uh, person, um, did have some of those behaviors inside him. He was the guy that came up with, I want my MTV. He mm-hmm. rebranded stuff like uh, Healthy Choice, or no, excuse me, Lean Cuisine, that was his. Uh, so George was kind of there living living it out in the, in the 60s and the 70s, and he, he's still doing great stuff as well. But here's what here's the thing that I find a lot with with advertisers. Advertisers uh, from an agency advertiser relationship, advertisers have the the most wonderful practice of throwing up on anything that might potentially be logical and a good investment in their uh, advertising budget. But here's one of the courses that you offer on your website, by the way, which is uh, by thatseemsimportant.com. That's important. Thatseemsimportant.com, the website. One of the one of the things you have is be good at sales without compromising your ethics. So here's the way it goes. Overcome your barriers to self-promotion. Reshape your relationship to sales so you stop being intimidated by sales and start being great at it without feeling like a sleaze. And I think I just wish more advertisers, now we're on the advertising side, I wish more advertisers would recognize the fact that you have professionals who are trying to help you not just sell stuff, but grow your brand and make it stick. And uh, we, we, we fight that battle every day. And I, I don't get that. I don't understand why people are so obstinate. I was watching uh, the, uh, the the program uh, Love It or List It, and uh, you know the, the the two people on the show they come in there as experts in what they do. So Hillary comes in and says, "I want to do this, 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 and this," and the homeowners say, "No, we don't want to do that. We're going to do something else." It's like, why don't you listen to the experts and allow us to become something that you can champion and say, "Look what they did for me." So that's one side of it as well. Don't you agree? I'm going to talk about that if you'd like. Oh, my goodness. Yes, the myth of expertise. I mean, I think the the blessing and the curse of marketing and advertising is that everyone thinks they can do it. And they don't realize that there's a lot of technique, that there's a lot of uh, nuance, and that there's a lot you need to know. And often, as if you, if you put on your business owner hat, I know I do this, and I'm in advertising, and yet mm-hmm. I am no better than anyone else where... I will tell someone how to do their job or assume that I know more than them or that I know my audience better or you start, at least for me, and I've seen this in pretty much every client I've ever had, there's an ego component where you don't want to be told how to do something. And for some reason, the advertising feels like an extension of you. Whereas when you pay your accountant, you don't feel like it's you. You feel like you're paying them to do a job. When it comes to your advertising, it has to do with our image. It has to do with how we're perceived by the world. And so it gets really personal, and we have a hard time being objective about it. And like I said, I am no better at this. The amount of designers I have told that they don't understand what I'm saying, and they look at me and they're like, really? And I have to check myself and be like, wow, I'm being that person. <laughs> um, but, but it's true, and it, it, it takes an extraordinary level of trust and awareness. And I think, and I'll say this in, uh, in, my, in my webinar, but it's the ghost of, of being burned in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, we all can point to someone we paid a good deal of money to who made bold, big promises and failed to deliver. Yeah. And so we get terrified. And, and part of this is a marketing and advertising 
problem where we present ourselves as the panacea. And part of this is a misunderstanding of what marketing and advertising and sales can do. Because you have a bad product. There's only so much you can't put with stick on a pig, a little pig. Um, but, but we make these big promises and we aren't necessarily specific about how we make them. I mean, what SEO can do, for example, um, for a business matters if the business is online and is reliant on search, right? We right. Need to yeah. Ask right. Questions. What kind of advertising we use words like marketing, advertising, you and I are throwing them around. I certainly am right now as if they're synonymous and we don't draw important distinctions um, between categories. Like when you hire someone and you say, I want to do advertising on social media, does that mean you want to build an organic brand and a following inside of it? Does that mean you want to run ads on a specific platform? And what you run on Instagram is going to look real different from what you run on LinkedIn. And we aren't using meaningful specifics um, to talk about the things that we need to hire people for. So often you end up disappointing the client or the client doesn't trust you because of these experiences they've had where someone claimed they could boil the ocean. And it has to do in large part with what you're talking about with Mad Men. There was a time where we could legitimately boil the ocean because there were only four ways to get to people. Right? You we had four yeah. distribution channels. There was out of home, which is effectively billboards. Um, you, you had print media, you had TV, and you had radio. Those were your options. And when that was the only way to get a hold of someone, then simply putting up your shingle was enough for a, a golden era in time. It is no longer like that. No. And so I think we are, are absolutely driven um, by sunk costs in that way, where we, we think we, we're sort of attached to, if I just if I build it, they will come. So sure. we expect a lot of our marketing and advertising, but then we don't put the muscle behind them. We don't use those meaning, meaningful specifics. We don't get clear on what marketing and advertising and sales mean or branding or where the lines between all of them are. And so we get super confused. So this is a long answer to your short question, but... One of the reasons I think people show up and they don't trust the expert is because there have been experts that weren't trustworthy. Um, There's a lot of charlatans in the space, and I think a lot of clients believe that they can do it better or that they know more because they built a company to this point. I think it feels deeply personal. I think that's a battle that we will continue to uh, to fight because just that's just the nature of people and that's the way it goes. And the thing that uh, bothers me a lot about the uh, the other side of that equation is like uh, inviting a whole bunch of people over for Thanksgiving dinner and forgetting to put the food out on the table. Yeah. Uh, the advertiser is not ready to receive any type of uh, any type of marketing or advertising. Uh, their clients are not or their, their employees are not ready. Their product is not ready but they want you to bring a whole bunch of people to the table. You know, well, a whole bunch of people visited my website, but nobody bought anything. It's like, okay, that could be a problem for you, not for me. Um, but but I guess we, we should have asked that question prior to going into any type of a, a campaign. One of, your, uh, one of your, uh, your courses that you have, Margo, is how to get people to care. How do you get people to care? Margo took the question to Columbia for grad school. But they weren't helpful because they had the same problem. <laughs> they didn't know how to get people to care. Gee, that's no surprise. In fact, they made it purposefully difficult to get awesome, life-changing information by locking it inside of books that no one would ever read. And as you might expect from the conversation thus far, Margot was not good with this, determined to solve the problem she and save the world at the same time, which I think is great. She set out to learn how you turn information no one cares about into something people care about. Man, what a profound statement. Tell us about that. What's in your head there? (laughs) 
I, uh, I have this in my marketing masterclass. If anyone is more interested in going deeper, it's on Skillshare. But yeah, it has been the fundamental question, I think, of advertising. And I think it's the promise that we make, and I think it's attainable. So here's, here's the misunderstanding people have, because I, I'm sure you get this question too, which is, how do you make people buy things? How do you make people care? How do you make them want something? How do you make them care about something they don't care about? How do I get someone to take me seriously? And the answer is you don't and you can't. You absolutely cannot make someone care about something they don't care about, which is always very deflating. And if you've ever had a, a toddler or a teenager, you know what I'm talking about. But the trick is, and this is where advertising, in my opinion, great advertising, and I, I'm a student of Ogilvy, so I know he agrees with me here, and, and Eugene Schwartz, um, it, it's, it's founded on empathy and meeting people where they are. So if you can understand who you're talking to and what they perceive the problem to be that you solve, what they think they want, what they think they need, not what you know you offer, that's how you start to get people to care. You connect what they already care about and you infuse it into your brand. You don't make them care about something they don't care about. It's never going to happen. Yeah. You give them a reason why they should. Which means you have to investigate fully, go so deep yes. below the skin. This is not a not, not a skin surface uh, uh, thing. It's 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 well deep. It's down into the DNA part. You know, back in the in the seventies and eighties and nineties, and even now, we have things called focus groups, which I absolutely hate because you can make a focus <laughs> group say anything they you want them to say. I I actually witnessed that happening. Uh, and I don't like focus groups, but there has to be a better way of digging and getting into that DNA of not yeah. the, not the client, but the, but the end user. How uh, yeah. how how have you um, give us some thoughts on, on on the ways that an agency? And I know we're, we're going to talk about uh, how agencies market themselves, but but talk about the process. How an agency should be getting under the skin into the DNA of the brand or the product. So there's the question of agencies who are working for brands and doing it for the companies that they uh, are promoting. And then there's a the question of the agency doing it for themselves. Um, I think they're two different things. So um, when we're talking about the brands that you represent, typically this is very difficult to do if you are handed a stack of information from a company that claims they already know their customers. Um, one of my favorite it's not favorite. I was very upset about it at the time, but it's my favorite story to tell now. I got a, a, um, a proposal from a big Fortune 100 company. Okay. <laughs> and the brief said, we're targeting women 18 to 65. <laughs> okay. I'm not even kidding. I'm not even kidding. And when I asked for clarification, they like looked at me like I was stupid. And I was just like, so you're targeting everyone? And they were like, yeah. Oh, Everyone. Sure. And I was just sitting there being like, I don't know where to begin with the problems here. And so I think the reality, now I, I have a best practices answer to this. And then I have the reality. And the reality is when these people are paying your bills, your job is not actually to promote. Your job is to please the person who's paying your bills and to please the client, which is not always the same as selling more products. Usually the client just wants his boss to be happy. Right. And so we have to be really, really clear on what our job is as marketers and as advertisers. So I think that's step one. Now, assuming 
that the job is actually to sell more and to reach the end user and to increase market share and to increase share of wallet, and we actually care about these metrics, um, we do require some pushback on <laughs> briefs like that. And, and it has to do with understanding the psychographic. We are, we are talking in this specific place about messaging. I think you're already getting a lot of market research when it comes to um, where something sits on the shelf or how people buy it and what the packaging might be. But when we're specifically talking about messaging, which is the arm that advertising tends to touch, um, you are getting a brand that's coming to you with an existing positioning. Advertising has the power to change that, and I think we should lean into that more. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we have to do if the clients won't give it to us um, is go to ground zero and actually talk to people. And this is where you you don't actually have to talk to a sample size that is um, statistically significant. So I started with the, the real way I sort of landed in marketing by accident, if you want to know the dirty details, is I ended up in market research because I had a degree in psychology that was effectively a research degree. Smart. And um, Smart. I started doing uh, ethnographies and um, market research, I did a, a, a lot of focus groups, actually, and I completely agree with you <laughs> with your assessment of them. Mm-hmm. But um, they're highly problematic. But what, what isn't problematic is what's called IDIs, which are in-depth interviews. And this works if you have the right ears. It's less about um, getting statistically significant answers and more about learning what to listen for. So as an advertiser, as a, especially for copywriters, I, I, I insist that if you have a copywriter not talking to customers, you need to rethink your business strategy. That is pretty much their only job they, because great copy is, is assembled, not written. It comes from the words that other people use. Oh, that's good. And so yeah. uh, I stole that. That was from David, uh, sorry, from, from Eugene Schwartz. <laughs> well, you can and, keep it. That's, uh, I'll go ahead and give that to you. That's fine. Keep that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> He's dead. It's mine now. So um, anyway, no, but, but, but truly, like the people who are writing the copy, the people who are in charge of, of that messaging, they have to be sitting there thinking about what the person on the other end of this exchange is doing and yeah. what they're feeling and what's happening in the moment that's called the zero moment of purchase, right? What are they coming to the table? What preconceived notions are they coming to the table with? What language do they use? How do they think of this? Because oftentimes, I mean, we all, I have sat in meeting after meeting after meeting, so have you, I'm sure, where... Um, Everyone claims the same benefits. We're the highest quality. We're super convenient. We are accommodating. People like us because we taste good. That doesn't work. We have to get more granular. We have to get more into those nitty-gritty specifics, the meaningful specifics. It's not enough to say, you know, buy now. Um, And where it is, I'm going to backtrack. Sometimes it is enough to say that if you're dealing with a very aware audience that's ready to buy. Mm -hmm. Like knowing where your ad is hitting someone along their customer journey is really important, which you find out when you talk to people yeah. and how they perceive of your category, how they perceive of your um, item. And, and this is a strategy that has been stolen from the greats. Claude Hopkins did this. P&G still does this. When I was working for Starbucks, I kid you not, I would stand in the aisle at grocery stores whenever I was on the road. And I would pretend like I was shopping for coffee. Sometimes I actually would be shopping for coffee. And I would just ask people in the aisle for advice. And... It's not, like I said, it's not necessarily scalable, but it got me understanding a little bit more about purchase decisions. Um, it got me understanding what people were considering and got me outside of my head and thinking about the way that I shopped because that's, that's a really big problem we have in our field is that we all assume that because we might fit the demographic, 
or that we also are a consumer in the world, that we understand how someone is shopping. And it's simply not true. We have to be able to, to exit the situation and look objectively at what's happening. How is someone who has the problem you solve, someone who needs coffee, right? yeah. what are they doing? Yeah. How are they showing up? When are they shopping for it? What are they thinking about it? The brands that you, um, that you are an agency for should be able to give you this information, but it is up to us to ask for it. And I don't think that agencies do a good job of asking because we're so busy moving forward with just getting the creative deliverables done and not really considering the the strategy behind them. Well, you're totally right on about that. On October 21st, we had the webinar for the American Advertising Federation with Margot, uh, why it's easy to market to your clients but not to yourself. And I'm going to dial back a little bit here. And I think think you'll agree, Margot, with this statement. Most every agency has analysis paralysis when it comes time to uh, marketing their products and services. Most agencies answer with, uh, my RFP is my number one way to engage, and that's so wrong. But it, it seems, I don't know, how, how would, what are your recommendations for thawing a frozen agency? Because that's what it is here. We're not, the agencies, many agencies do not have the tools, the, no, you know, the wherewithal or anything of how to go out there and actually grab somebody's attention. And, and that's what we talked about during the webinar. So talk more about that now. Yeah, it's, it's so hard. I want to give people credit who are listening. If you're in an agency or if you run one and you're listening, you're already so far ahead because a big part of the problem is culture. Um, a big part of the problem is the people in your agency that you can't necessarily fire. Um, and so, and, and that the, the landscape is changing and it's, and it has been changing. And, and we hear that all the time. It's become sort of a trope. Times are changing. Technology is changing. Everything's fast. What's new? What's next? It's not. And I don't mean it in that sense. Yeah. I mean it in the sense that the business practices that worked to grow us in the past have evolved. And so we are still stuck in this RFP um, way of doing business and relationship way of doing business, and it doesn't work. Um, it's also not sustainable. So, so we have... Um, we have inherited a lot of the behaviors and tools and tactics for business growth that worked in the Mad Men days. I'll give you an, a, a really specific example of when I was on client assignment. Um, I was on the West Coast. I live on the East Coast. And we were, I mean, I spent the whole day in meetings. It must have been 12 hours of meetings. Mm. And then I was expected to go to dinner and wine and dine people. And I remember telling my higher up that this was a, decided waste of time because I had work to do in a presentation to give the next day. And I had a whole bunch of new information from all these meetings that I needed to integrate. And it was told to me in no uncertain terms that my job was actually not to do a good job in the presentation, but to wine and dine people. <laughs> and, okay. um, and, and it was, it, and it included also interagency wise. Like I wasn't necess- I was skipping happy hours with other teams when I was invited because I had work to do. And I also have a family. And so like, um, this world, this agency world we built isn't conducive to having a life outside the agency. And we consider that a pride point, right? Yeah. And I became one of those people who's like, I don't sleep, I don't eat, I, I live and breathe. And like, you can be a workaholic and do good work, but we're not doing good work. No. We are addicted to this old way of being where we're spending all of our, of, you know, oh, we're best friends now because we got drunk together stuff that's happening. It's such a decided waste of time and distraction 
from doing good marketing. Now, I understand it from, from the perspective of needing to relationship build. Um, and that used to be something that only the, the client services teams did. And once you started pulling everyone else in and needing everyone to, to be part of the family or whatever words people are using for these days, it's expanded now where this is still a big part of the job. And I think if you're talking about sawing a frozen agency, we have to talk about the culture that you're breeding um, and what you what you purport to be versus how you're behaving. Yeah. So I would first ask you to take a hard look at how are you currently growing business um, and what type of people does that attract? Um, because what I saw was a lot of people who were unhappy um, talking, you know, jumping from agency to agency. Nobody stayed anywhere for more than two years. Yeah. And then the people who stayed, you know, 15 or 20 years were so stuck in sunk costs and how things used to be that it was really difficult to talk to them about anything else. Um, and and so when we have these these cultural norms that end up guiding what we do, it becomes incredibly difficult to make any of these inroads. So I think it starts personally with, with leadership. I think it starts with, with being more than all talk, uh, with starting to look and evaluate how your agency does business and where where is it truth in the statement, like, People will say a lot, like they'll make assumptions. This is just how it's done, right? This is just yeah, how it's done. Sure. And and sometimes that's true. Sometimes that's true. And we need to take a hard look at when that is true. And we need to just bite our tongue and take it. And when we can go, let's stop doing it this way. Yeah. <laughs> Let, like this maybe this way doesn't work. Maybe spending two hundred thousand dollars on an RFP that we end up losing is is a bad way to win business. Agreed. Maybe there's a different way to do it. Maybe making all of our people with children go out all the time and compete with those who are single, you know, maybe that's a bad way. Maybe we all shouldn't be doing so many drugs, you know, like whatever it is um, that isn't working, that used to work, uh, needs to be called into question. I think I, that's step one. That, yeah, go ahead. Um, I would say the next part, is, and this is this is sincere. I, I don't, not that that part wasn't sincere. I didn't mean to invalidate my own point. But um, I meant that this is a problem I don't necessarily have a good answer for, which is we often get stuck in execution, where we are so busy just doing the work that growing the business becomes really, really difficult. So when we say frozen uh, agency, I think it's, it's, a, it's almost unfair because they're not frozen. They're spinning their wheels. Um, where they're they're just being reactive, and I think a lot. It's not just an agency problem. I think this is a business problem that <laughs> we all get stuck. Where we are right. handed business, we're like, oh god, okay, let's go. Yeah. And it's you know fire after fire after fire, and five months just went by, and you don't know how that happened, and now it's been two years, and there really isn't space sometimes to have these big conversations. And then when we make the space, we have really fun conversations in a boardroom with lots of post-its, mm-hmm. but we don't actually. Um, implement the changes in the way they need to be changed because we're busy doing the work. Sure. And so I think that that, that again is solved with having space, you know, giving, giving someone whose job it is to be an objective onlooker who, who can actually do this job of, of making change or finding the ways where it is uncomfortable. Yeah. It's really uncomfortable to push forward in a new way of doing things. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't think it's possible to make change or saw that frozen agency if we don't first address what's happening that isn't working. You've, you've really got to get d- dig down to that. There's a book uh, by Michael Gerber called E-Myth, which I, I oh, yeah. think is a great book. It, it, I, I love Michael. We know Michael. Uh, we've, we've, we've had him on the show uh, previously. Um, but 
Michael just has everything. I mean, you can apply this to any, an agency, you can apply to anything, the e-myth it's called. It's a quick read. It's a good thing. This is not a solicitation to go out and get it, but if you really want to think about some stuff, it's not a bad, <laughs> bad thing to do as well. You know, I have to, uh, I have to say, uh, uh, going back to some of the uh, things that you were talking about before, back in the 70s, I remember and I was witness to a conversation where the client and the agency would go out to the golf course and play the client for the business. It literally, if I win, you go with me. If I lose, you don't go with me. I was like, oh my God, really? That's the basis of your relationship? Frankly, if I were the client from that relationship, I would run the other way and find somebody who really gave a damn about, about what I did uh, and, and, and my, my product and such. There are, and that's just one example. And it's a true example, by the way. Therefore, I will not mention yeah. anybody's names. Okay, that's good. But hey, I have a question for you, Margo. Um, yeah. You, uh, you, you. Uh, I'm going to tell you something, Margo. You have too many books. Okay, this is a problem <laughs> for you. I did not see you on TLC, but I'm just saying. Okay, it sounds like you're not an Audible customer. I feel like you like to read books. Is that true? That is very true. Okay, so <laughs> what is the best book you've ever read? With no category, just in general? I don't care. Whatever. There's got to be one out there that's like slam dunk winner. This is it. Uh, that's like asking me to choose my favorite child. That's why I only had one. Um, okay. Well, that's easy then. Good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it is. Yeah, I, 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 I plead the fifth. I, I could choose it by category. I will tell you. Um, sure. It's, it's, it's a tough Here's why I, I resist. I can tell you what my personal favorites have been, but I believe that books are a little bit like clothing where like not one size fits all. And so something that I've adored might not resonate with someone else. So it depends what you want out of a book. And I would say I, I want different things out of my fiction than I want from, from my nonfiction. I want different things from my business books than I want from my psychology books. Um, okay, let's but, narrow it then. Best business book you've ever read. Best business book I've ever read is Ogilvy on Advertising, tied with Claude Hawkins. Um, what is the name of his biography? Scientific Advertising is the famous one, but hold on, I'm going to go to my bookshelf and see if I can find it. Okay, my so, Life in Advertising. My life, okay, there you go. I think that's relevant. I'm glad I, I selected that uh, those that category. But there again, Margot, you need to thin out those books, okay? I mean, you know... You, <laughs> They become a fire hazard after a while, and um, and it's, have you been it's talking a... to my husband? Um, no, but I've been reading about you. <laughs> 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 Isn't it funny how telling the internet is? Uh, that that uh, but, no, but I, I I kid you about that. But I'm the same way. Our house is so filled with books. It's like we ha we build a room. We build a room on the house, and what did it have to have? It had floor to ceiling bookshelves because. Yeah. There, we filled them up in about five minutes, and that was it's it. It's as there, important as having a sink. I don't know why this is negotiable. <laughs> and it shouldn't be negotiable, so you can tell your husband that Ray Shillen says, it's okay, lay off. Okay, buddy? I will. That'll be fine. Hey, I wanted to no, ask. I, go ahead. Go, go ahead. ahead. Uh, no, I wanted to add that for, for people looking for good business books, you know, I, I think we all run to things that are tactical and want answers, and I'm certainly guilty of this. But I have found the most benefit over time from biographies ah. and um, especially business biographies, because they those folks 
our leaders and it's the answers that we're often seeking tend to be with how these people live their lives and the way they see the world and how they get ideas and, and the deals that they've struck and how they made them and uh, the way at which they approach a lot of problems can give you the tactical answers that you are looking for. Um, and so I, I, that's part of why I love um, pointing to biographies like My Life in Advertising because they're things, even though that book was written in the 20s, it is so directly relevant to life today and yeah. advertising today that is unbelievable. Yeah, it's good. And, and it should be in your library if it's not. There's no doubt about that. Um, you know, one thing, I want to get back to your website. It's called yeah. Hillary and Margot Yell at Websites. First of all, who, <laughs> who is Hillary? Tell us about Hillary. <laughs> Hillary Weiss is my co-host. She's a brilliant brand strategist and creative director. Uh, she used to be a copywriter. She's been in the... I would call it the digital marketing space for a very long time. Um, and we became friends, as one does, online after I had exited the agency world. And uh, we were having drinks one day, and she was yelling at me about <laughs> why I'm not online. I'm like, my presence online isn't quite enough. I'm a big proponent of email lists, and, and a lot of my Rolodex was word of mouth, so I just wasn't doing as much social media. Plus, when you do it a lot for your clients, as you guys know from my talk, it's really hard to have energy to do it for yourself thereafter. Oh, yeah. And so um, I had sort of neglected my own um, online presence, and she just wasn't having it. So we were we were out one night uh, getting dinner and having drinks, and, and she grabbed my phone and started doing a live Instagram story. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> people... It turned out a lot of our audience overlapped and people thought it was hilarious because it turns out when you take two advertisers and get them drinking, we start yelling at our at our audience about rape. And yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. And, and it, it, you would think we would go somewhere else, but no, we just started yelling about conversion rates and how much you charge and all this stuff. And so it became kind of hysterical and we, it, it turned its way into a talk show. That's really cool. It's an internet talk show and uh, being the internet, obviously, what a great place to be. Uh, you know, we did a, a program for almost 20 years called The Advertising Show. My co-host, Bryant Forsyth, here in the Houston market, um, and I were called the click and clack of advertising uh, because <laughs> we had fun and we talked to important and relevant people and we did it for so long. It was just so easy. So it sounds like you've got that same a relationship with with Hillary, but it, it is uh, now. How do they engage in the internet talk show? I mean, where, should they should they go to your website to find that, or how does that? Well, how does it work? Sure, we live on YouTube right now, and you're raising some great questions, right? Because Hillary and I have been asking if we should roll it out into its own brand. Right now, it lives on both of our websites and on YouTube mostly. Mm -hmm. um, but we were doing it kind of as a beta test over the last year and a half, and. Yeah. It's got a small but mighty following we're really proud of. So, yeah, check it out on YouTube. But if you're on my email list at thatseemsimportant.com, you will hear about new episodes. And one of the, that's one of the top 100 websites uh, for writers, by the way, thatseemsimportant.com. Even the title of that website is just such a wonderful and, and easily <laughs> digestible thing. You know, Margo, you're, you're really, some people go through life kind of uh, taking up space, air, oxygen, water, and all that kind of garbage. Uh, on the other hand, you like to stir things up and you're having a blast at life, aren't you? I am. I'm enjoying this conversation, but thank you. I'm glad it's, it's coming off that way. But if you got it, if you're not having fun, y'all, this is this is where marketing do. I think is is real. It comes out in your messaging. Like I think people know there's an element you really can't fake. 
Um, and and there has to be some part of what you do that you enjoy or that keeps you alive. Otherwise, what are we doing here? Yeah. Boy, ain't that a fact. And, and the girl from uh, New Jersey just said y'all. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> I love it. I love it. She's not from New Jersey, Ray. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so she's existing in New Jersey at the at this moment, but she's a Texas girl, and that's a good thing. Margo, uh, we enjoyed the, the webinar on the 21st, and I know folks are going to enjoy hearing once again from you with this with this podcast. Go to thatseemsimportant.com. There's even stuff like Find Your Voice. It's a coaching thing that Margot does. Margot is a rock star. I gained more insights from a one-hour conversation with her than I would have in weeks of fumbling around with the marketing for my coaching service. She has a rare acumen for asking the right questions to understand you and your offer and then translating that into a captivating marketing strategy that is a quote that says one of her one of her clients said. So, Margot, this has been a blast. I've loved getting to know you a little bit better. And uh, thanks again just for taking the time today. We appreciate it. Thank you, Ray. Thanks for having me. You know, what's really cool is folks like Margot Aaron are in the advertising business. It's uh, such a great, fresh approach to what we do. And you can tell she's really good at it and really loves what she does. Ad Speaks Houston, the Addy Award-winning podcast, is created and produced by Radio Lounge for the American Advertising Federation Houston chapter. Find out more at aaf houston Net. Subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform so you'll never miss a new podcast. And your rating on iTunes will help us grow. Don't be afraid to share what you've heard today on social media. Share it with a friend. We also invite you to meet the people that represent District 10 of the American Advertising Federation. Check out the Adtention podcast, the podcast for District 10. Until next time, thanks for listening. Ad Speak Houston, copyright 2020. I'm Ray Shillins.